This is Paul. This is Caroline. Tonight, we're here to talk to you about Apple TV's new series, Defending Jacob. Were you excited when you saw this one, or were you like, oh, I never even heard of this? Uh, no, I was excited about this one because I like Chris Evans, and, you know, look, cap, cap, cap. I'm all for it. I love a good whodunit. I like Chris Evans. I think I could watch him in just about anything. I also like the other principals in this cast. I like Michelle Dockery, who plays Lori, the mom, and the kid who plays the son. I, I liked him in It. He, he did a wonderful Bill Denbro, and, uh, and I think it has a pretty good Jake also. I like him from Knives Out. He was a cool character in that one, too. He was With Chris guy. Evans. Yeah. Holy crap. Oh, my God. It's like the six degrees of separation game. Wow. Do you think on that movie, Chris Evans was like, you know what? I, I, I know this kid, and he'd make a great Jake. Maybe they had like some um, screen chemistry that you know he spoke highly of. Maybe, because he's a great actor. So the premise of this show is... A classic turn the tables setup. It's got the kid of an assistant DA accused of murder, which seems like a plot that we've may not be able to think off the top of our head that, you know, this is where we saw this before, but this feels like something we've, we might've seen or, or heard of before, right? Absolutely. So given that Apple TV is a brand new network and that they've hired such highfalutin names like Captain America to be a part of it, then... Just they, Cap, Paul. He just goes by It's Cap. just Cap. Uh-huh. There's got to be more to it than that, right? There's got to be some twists and turns in this thing. I'm expecting a lot of twists and turns, Paul. The first episode didn't grab me, though. I know. This is a, an interesting format for this show because it's like a hybrid of a binge show and a weekly show. So they dropped the first three, which after watching the first three, which we will cover in this episode, it was imperative to have all three episodes as far as I was I was concerned. If I only had one, I'd have been like, I'm not waiting a week. And then I'm certainly not waiting another week for three. It was not until three that I was fully, I mean, like I'm sticking with this show. Like I got to know what happens now. Mm-hmm. What do you think about this hybrid concept of like, I have to give them enough to make them love it. And we've already like invested three freaking hours, more than a, a typical movie. And we still don't, we don't know anything yet. Well, from a podcaster's perspective, I have to cover three episodes on the first week. However, uh, we've done it before with Handmaid's Tale, for instance. I think it's a little bit of a cheat if your first episode is not super strong. It's not that this one wasn't strong per se. It's just... It didn't make me need to know what came next. I felt like it was a little bit confusing, to be honest with you. And so let's get into a little bit of the way that it was formatted for that first episode. Okay. Okay. So this was one of those times when they kind of, they start with the ending or close to the ending is what I I guess would say, because it's not the true ending, but it's close to the ending. And they try to kind of walk you back into the story. And in doing that, I felt a little kind of gypped because i mean we have cap looking real sad Paul. Yeah. and so you know in this one we really should call him andy barber no yeah well <laughs> we don't want to confuse people but i mean sure. when i see that man i see captain america yeah, that's I'm sorry. all he is so andy though he's already sad like this is already a sad situation so 
you're already going into this like, okay, we're defending Jacob, but at the same time, we're like not feeling good about it from like second one, which is a weird way to go into a show. I felt the same way because no matter what we see happen, it kind of takes the hope out of the equation that that there's some happy ending here. If there was a happy ending, he wouldn't be sitting in front of a grand jury trying to straighten something out. We're not sure what. We're not sure if everyone's dead except for him. We're not sure if they just left him and that's just it. We don't know any of that stuff. We just know that plan A, which is just a no bill, just they just say, nope, you didn't murder him. It's it's over. I want a happy ending. I want like a, a completely exonerated you didn't do anything. The family's happy. Like that's plan A, right? And that def- is. If you're defending Jacob, right? That's, right. That's what you want. <laughs> you want Jacob to be fine. Now, what worries me is that within the first three episodes, whenever we go back to that grand jury, there's a lot of past tense talk about Jacob. Yeah. He was a good kid. I knew my son. I knew my son. I mean, mm, I don't want to go into this thinking I'm defending someone who is like not on the planet anymore. That version of the happy ending isn't even available. Right. Because, you know, the first dozen happy endings all include everyone being alive. Well, for sure. That's the bare min, right? Right. It's like alive. And I just don't even know that Jacob's alive, Paul. Me So this format is a little bit of a struggle, I think, to grab viewers because... Again, like I said, you you have to be willing to go with the concept of it's the journey. It's how we get to this point of being at the grand jury that I'm excited to find out. And that's okay, provided you care a lot about all the characters right away. We're going to talk about the characters right now and talk about whether or not you were fully on board with these characters right away. Let's start with Andy. He is, you know, the most one of the most charismatic humans in the world. And outside of uh, the show, but in this show, that charisma is is not all there. In these three episodes, you can tell that he's probably an intense guy. Very. You can tell that he is probably respected and liked, but it doesn't sound like he actually has very many friends. There's a moment in the third episode with Duffy where she says, we just work together. Right. And he had no idea that she felt that way. And that kind of clued me in that... In you know when you combine that with the stuff he was hiding about his dad, you might have a guy who emotionally just doesn't know how to connect with people, doesn't know when the connection is made, or maybe cuts himself off from connecting fully with other people and doesn't even know. You I know? agree with that fully. I mean, he really only has two primary coworkers that we see. We have Duffy and then we have the alternate assistant attorney, right? Yeah. And my God, he is like at odds with him in a big way. And when you say like intense. Yeah, he's like screaming swears at him and stuff in front of his boss. And it's like, what is your friggin' deal? I'm sorry, every case that comes in, y'all don't have like a little convo about like, all right, who's going to take this case? Like, why are you freaking out like this? It was so much so fast with like no buildup as to like, why does this guy act like this? Yeah, I mean, we just saw that he was effective in court, but but maybe was a little curt, you know, (laughs) with with how he dealt with people. Right. I mean, one of the things that I found interesting about that court scene that you're talking about is that he was very effective in finding the witness quickly and being able to kind of squelch, you know, any continuances and all that stuff. And I really appreciated that fact. However, there was also a little bit of of like a stench of like maybe the other lawyer possibly might have been following, say, 
the rules and maybe Andy getting to know him a little bit in these first three episodes might have like did some things to find the witness. Know what I mean? Like effective and also maybe not 100% on the straight and narrow following every rule. Hard to say. I mean, I'm not sure with legal procedure. It's my vibe. I'm talking about his personality. I'm talking about getting something done, about the ends justify the means. And getting the, and maybe the other lawyer, I'm just, I'm just submitting this. Perhaps the other lawyer was like following whatever the guidelines were. Of course, we all think the lawyer was really dragging his feet, right? Yeah. But let's just for argument's sake, say maybe that person was saying like, well, the first thing I have to do is this and then this and then this. And Andy's like, I'm hiring like a PI and we're going to go fucking like choke out the mom until he says where the kid, you know, the witness is. That kind of thing. Like he seems like so much more intense and concerned about getting the right ending that I don't know that he always sticks to the path. Well, in support of that opinion, yes, is the fact that he has a sketchy past mm. from East Hartford, who even knew, except for the people inside Connecticut, that East Hartford was the wrong side of the tracks. I didn't know this. Well, I kind of did. I lived up there. Um, My cousins actually lived up there. And I wouldn't say it's the wrong side of the tracks, but I would say probably more working class is probably the right word. Okay. It's a part of his past that he doesn't want to elaborate on. Well, he's a lawyer who wants to be prominent in society. So that's not coming from working class background. You might not want that. You might want people to think your dad was like a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, right? You kind of want to come from a different echelon. Okay. That's what I'm throwing out there. No, what do you think, Paul? I mean, is it reasonable that we have Jacob, who's like 14 years old, and they've been married that long, at least. We find out, though, within the counseling session that that it was a surprise pregnancy situation. So they have only been married about that amount of time, right? Mm -hmm. Is it reasonable that over the course of that many years, it never would have come up, that you would have never trusted your spouse enough to tell? That's the big question, because... He lied the whole time. He created a, a fiction that she didn't ever need to check up on because there's a finality to it. It wasn't that he was in jail. It was that the dad had run out on them, right? Just like gone. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? It's, it's true from a certain point of view. Right? Yeah, no, sure. It, actually, weirdly, you know who he kind of reminds me of in a strange way is Don Draper. He has this very like, I had a shitty past. I come from a shitty place. I didn't necessarily do anything wrong during that past, but because of my circumstances, I'm like humiliated and I'm not going to talk about it and I'm not going to tell anybody. As far as you know, you don't, you don't need to know. And he didn't go so far as like changing his name like Don, but you know what I mean, right? Like it's just like, that was me before. Now I'm a guy in a suit and that's all I want you to know about me. I don't know. It seems very old fashioned. Don Draper could get away with it because it's the 19 freaking 50s, you know, but I don't know that that is very... True. If this is 2020, these people would have been married in like 2004. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I don't really think that that's the way that most relationships are these days. That seems very old fashioned. I was reminded of Don. Point of his past is is like a it's like possibly predicting future behavior, right? Mm -hmm. If he's ashamed about something, he'll lie about it. And that might indicate something else that he's going to do. Is it reasonable that he would have lied that long and kept it up that maybe it's it's not easy to believe that from like a real world standpoint but from a story standpoint i think it's supposed to tell us something about him i like that very much i think that that's a really good point to really focus in on because 
it could drive me crazy if we sat here and thought like, well, is it okay to be so embarrassed that your loved one, specifically your dad, who you probably have a lot of traits from, is someone who actually killed someone? Like, this isn't just like, my dad was a bad guy. He was kind of a jerk. It's not like that. It's like he killed someone. For me, I always feel like I, I don't clump people together like that. So if someone were to say like, you know, this is a terrible thing that's in my family and I'm so sad and hurt by this, but my God, you're my wife, my husband, I sleep with you every freaking night. How am I like closing my eyes and like not just telling you the truth about that? I thought of who he reminded me of. Who? This is a bit more of a stretch because okay. he's not a real person. Oh, um, As opposed to Don Draper, who's very, very real. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's real in my mind. I hope I... He invented the Coke he, song. Paul? Where is he? <laughs> um, I have a thing for Don Draper, y'all. He, rem- he reminds me of Nick, the main character from Gone Girl. Yeah, yeah. Um, in, and this is, this is the reason why. Okay. When you read Gone Girl, the movie follows the book, but the book gives you more in his head, okay. right? And I know you've read the book. Yes. So you read the first chapter and you're like, Nick sounds like he's got a bad wife. I mean, he, uh, what's, she's a mess. What's not to like about Nick? Mm -hmm. Nick does everything right. And then you get to chapter three and you find out that Nick has a girlfriend. And, and then you get to chapter five and you find out he does some other shitty thing. Yeah. And because I'm, I'm listing odd numbers because they bounce back and forth. This feels like the pattern for Andy. That he starts out like he's the assistant DA. He's a dad. He calls his son pal. He his 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 wife seems happy. Everything seems okay. Right. Well, and they even go so far as to actually say that in the dialogue. By all accounts, you are a happy family, right, Mister Barber? They exactly say that. So I think we're gonna find just like in these first three episodes, we find out that he's got this past that he lied about and is trying to minimize and say it's not a big deal. But that's the way I dealt with it, and you know now. I've here we are. Right. I think we're going to find out more shit as we go that like the very first opening shot of episode one mm-hmm. is of a super high depth of field shot of one of those hospital pain meters. You know, it's got the happy face yes. and the and the sad face and all that. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving Caroline like a like the a WTF. Yeah. Shrugs. Yeah. Like the shrug emoji over here. Like. <laughs> We haven't put it together yet. That's the thing. Like they, like we're almost near to the end, but we're not at the end yet. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Jacob's in, in in like an asylum or something. Like I don't know. Maybe it's one of those kind of things. Like we don't know where it's going. That's where I'm saying. Like where they dropped us right at the beginning was like by design disorienting, and you had to want to be there. You had to say, "I'm willing to like fight through the discomfort and the fact that like I don't really fucking know what's going on right now and why we are where we are, but I want to find out." And so I'm going to like stick with it and go. But that's a really big risk to take with viewers because a lot of people don't want to start off with that discomfort. They want to be, you know, drawn in. Yeah. So, I mean, it's rough. So speaking of that, let's move over to Lori Barber. She's played by Michelle Dockery, who is from Downton Abbey. She was a main character in Downton Abbey and has, you know, however, like five or six seasons on that show and a movie. So that's where the TV viewing audience knows her from. So I had a little bit of a problem with Lori right off the bat because of a very unfair reason. She physically looks a lot like another actress who I don't like the characters she's played. So talk about like this long drawn out mess, right? So that actress is... Sarah Wayne Callies. You don't like... (laughs) I don't like Lori from Walking Dead and I don't like Katie from Colony. She plays a wife in both and both of like very handsome guys. So it's a very, very similar role that she's playing. 
and she's just grading. Okay, she's just a person who makes choices that I don't, I wouldn't make. It bothers me because I mean, I'm sure Sarah Wayne Callies is a good human, but these two characters blow. Having to like deal with them, especially from the standpoint of being a mother in both of those roles. Colony, I wanted to rip her hair out the way that she treated her kids, the way that she handled her kids and the way that she would like abandon them at times and not be there at the right times and do these things. It just drove me crazy. So sadly, the character of Lori Barber has like Katie and Lori like resting on her back because she just physically looks so similar. There was a lot of mannerisms that I felt like she had as well. It was not good. About her generally, though, she seems to be like a private school. Um, would you say headmaster, headmistress? It looked like it in the in the scene or where at they least director in the scene where they dismiss her. She's got the big office. That's very with a true. nice view. Very beautiful, big windows. So that seems right. So I'm, I'm all right. So I'm going headmistress. You know, she seems like somebody who I don't know. Again, the same. It's the same quality of Lori and Katie. She's like a mom and, a, and in, a, in like a soft setting of being like a, in a role of an educator with little kids that makes you feel like she should have like kind of a soft heart. But like even her watching herself on the video for the school, she's like, I'm too cold. I'm too stiff. I'm too whatever. And I'm like, yeah, you are. Like, <laughs> you just fucking are. Like you come off just not like a warm and fuzzy. And that was her for me as Lori Barber. I'm like, I don't really get Andy and Lori together. I don't feel chemistry between them as actor and actress. Did you? Not especially. And we don't get really a chance for warm moments before everything goes to shit. Yeah. And there were little nuggets along the way, just like you were just talking about the Gone Girl back and forth, where at first you're like, okay, you know, Lori and Andy seem okay. They, they seem like they're a good couple and stuff. And then you find out, oh, wait a minute, actually, you know, he lies to her. And then you find out, oh, this was not like a planned pregnancy in any way. In fact, they got married because she was pregnant. Like there was just like a series of like, oh, wait, hold on. This was not like a fairy tale love story. And I'm with you that like as each, each turn of the page comes, we're going to find out like Lori had an affair or Andy did this or something. You know, it's just going to keep untangling some shit in their background that you're going to be like, oh, they're not so shiny. Something tells me Lori's okay, except in terms of like her behavior and what she's done as a married mom and all that kind of stuff. I'm I don't, a, And I'm going to argue with you in just a second, so go ahead. I'm, that's why you're here. Um, <laughs> but I think where Andy uh, projected stoic, I know what's going to happen next. You can trust me. I'm... On top of this situation, she was much more emotional. I don't mean like emotional, like a crying heap. I just mean like she felt very out of control of the whole thing, mm -hmm. regardless of what Andy was doing, you know? Sure. You know, at the end when she's, when she's painting the, the garage, um, it was like at an off time. It was like super late, super early, or I can't remember, but it, was, it wasn't like, you know what? I'm going to go paint the garage. It was more like, what's, it's weird that mom's painting the garage right now, isn't it? Yeah. And so. They were looking for her for dinner. She had just come home from work being dismissed from work there you go that made me start to think she might lose it she might come unhinged okay so let's talk about that and where that where that nugget is coming from not because she's a woman just because that's just her character that's no just... i'm not i'm not going with the i'm not it's not a woman thing here's where the meat of that is coming from paul in my opinion in a mom's opinion not unlike Lori and katie who can't seem to figure out how to take care of their children she is someone who when they're in the therapist office list Event after event after event with Jacob. 
infancy all the way through to current of concerning incidences in which she took what? No action to in any way fix or support her kids' problems. And that is where that big bad guilt is going to break her in half. Because mm. her she, gut told her to do something and Andy said and no. Andy said, it's fine. He's just boys a boy. Boys be boys. This is how it goes. And what are you going to do, right? Why? And what's his motivation? He's afraid if they go to a therapist or if they go to a doctor, what's going to happen? They want familial history. First thing. Yeah. And you're going to have to start digging. And if you dig, his secret's going to come out. So he's got to keep Jacob not getting assistance. Because if we start talking about family behavior patterns, we're fucking sunk. Right, Andy? So then you have Lori over here who this whole time has been like, but something's wrong. But something's wrong. You know, they called us. They said that she, he did this. He bit this kid. He did this. Pushed a kid off the top of the playground. That's not normal bullshit, okay? I mean, I taught pre-K. I taught first grade. I can tell you, nobody pushes someone off of the top of the playground. Well, the um, I don't know if you saw the flashback with the bowling alley. Oh, Jesus. But that's uh, concerning oh, also. Oh, God. That's so scary. So, I mean, those types of behaviors, that is something that needs to be addressed. So when something huge happens, when it finally gets to the point where it wasn't a bowling ball just dangling over someone's head, but now someone's actually dead, how are you not already breaking in half? Before you even find out one damn thing, the fact that your kid, who you know has these tendencies that are at least at the very least, quote unquote, off, right? Concerning. Right? Yes. And now he's linked to a child's death. There's no way that your psyche doesn't just go like, oh, this is the final straw. I'm about to lose it up in here. Yeah, I think I think that your idea that that could be of what's going on with Lori, she might be the one with the little medical smiley faces, frown faces. She might be the one in the insane asylum, you know? Yeah. That's plausible. I'm going with that. And it's silly. They don't just use that guide in an insane asylum, okay, you guys? But I'm just feeling that gut of like, it didn't feel like someone was physically injured. It felt like someone was mentally, emotionally not so good. Let's move into Jacob because this is a character who is played by a great actor. Jaden Martell. I really think that he actually depicts a normal teenager from the standpoint of the way he talks, the way that he moves around, the way that he like looks at things, everything doesn't feel like that Disney-esque teen kid. Like, he's not, yeah. like, hyper-acting. He's not... All the, all the teenagers felt like the people who wrote this really studied what actual teenagers are like, especially when they're dealing with adults. You know, like you're saying, in a lot of the shows that we watch, mm -hmm. the teenagers speak... In this rat-a-tat, super intelligent, back-and-forth conversation that makes it sound like they're PhDs in pop culture. Where there's such airheads, and they're so like bubblegum, ah, 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 like idiots. And teens are somewhere in between. For the most part, they're fucking blasé, which is like, that's the thing. Like when, I, when they were doing those interviews, well, the only thing I could think of was like the malaise in this room. Like the just pure fucking boredom. Right. But like over it. They captured that which we have three teenagers, you guys, if you could capture angst and over it in a bottle, <laughs> that is what Disney needs to find for what an actual teenager acts like. Yeah, uh, Jake's right on there. I really think that, that he is great casting and he makes sense in this role because even physically, he's a, he's a little bit of like a slight kid. He's very pale skin. 
is very dark hair. So he has like this very contrasting kind of a little if you leaned into it, he could go a little goth or a little like sickly. You know, you had that feeling that he just wasn't a healthy, robust kid. Yeah, that really played into all of this, even the way that he was like playing video games or just the smallest little moments, the stuff in class felt genuine, really sincere, almost like they said, I don't want anyone in the rest of the class who's ever acted before. I just want you to come in here and act like a fucking class of regular ass kids. And he just like flowed right in. You know, there was not that sense of like there was a director on the set or something pointing at where they should go. It was very natural for kids, which is very unusual. Beyond the mentioning of Catcher in the Rye explicitly, did you pick up a Holden Caulfield vibe about him in general before that? Because I did. I noticed that he dislikes metaphor and he insists that people act genuinely. This is how he got in trouble on Facebook. Right. Right. And so he or in the, the chat room, right? He feels like he is honest because he says things the way they he the way that he sees that they are. That makes sense. Yeah. And in a little ways, I feel like that's a lot about teenagers getting to that point of sort of calling bullshit on adults. Like everyone's just sort of acting in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And you're just sort of like figuring that stuff out. At the same time, I mean, we have two kids on the spectrum and there was a little bit of that. There was a little bit of like a just say what you mean. Don't try to act like, you know, you're going to give me all these cliches or you know what? Like, eh, just say exactly what you mean. Or like the why do we have to say here through symbolism? Why do we have to talk about what everything means? Like, just say what you mean. And I thought that that link with Andy when they were in the car and Andy's like, you have a point. I kind of thought like Andy would rather life be like that, too. <laughs> you know, he'd rather people just say what they mean without in any way diagnosing him. Because, again, we have two kids with autism, very different places on the spectrum in autism. I just felt like that trait was very familiar to me. Those are the three main characters of the show. There are some significant minor characters that I'd like to talk about. One of them being Ben, the murder victim himself. He is another one of those things where the first time we we get any information about him, he seemed like a very sympathetic character. He's dead. He's (laughs) murdered. automatically makes you sympathetic. He's gutted in the park. What do you think? Very sympathetic. I, I've, but, but more than that, you know, the flowers, the memorial, the apparent sadness of the town and that type of thing. But then, as again, the episodes went along, the peeling back of kids just being like, I don't know, he's fine. Like, burnt, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, not really I anything. Guess. Yeah, I guess. Mm, can I go? Are, you do- are we done? <laughs> just that kind of thing that you kind of were like, huh. And then by the end, by the third, it was really... A complete switcheroo. Did you expect for them to paint Ben having been a bully to Jacob? Did you see that coming? A little. I mean, I, I mean, I, I didn't write it down or anything like that, so I can't have it uh, verified. But a little. I mean, it just seems kind of natural that there'd be some sort of antagonism between these two rather than just straight. I didn't know him. He didn't know me. That that sort yeah. of thing. Right. How this helps perpetuate the story a little better if there is some hint of motive there and it's not very far-fetched for a guy that people like to also be a dick to some other people right and again you know we explained that physically you know he's 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 kind of a meek kid i mean he he has kind of that slight little body build he looks very opposite to ben who looks like a filled out guy in his photos anyway you Mm -hmm. know i don't know i didn't see the bullying coming but i knew we had to get to some motive i just didn't know where we were going with this Like, I didn't know what Ben would have done to cause Jacob to be pissed. And I knew we had to get to the point of there being 
some reason why we could possibly go with this. So they gave us this tiny connection. We don't know much more about Ben at this point. We do know that his dad's a fairly intense guy who is played by an actor who always plays dicks. He yes. never plays nice guys. Oh, my God. Speaking of the Don Draper ad, that's funny. Right. So uh, this actor plays the, like, Uts. <laughs> right. The, uh, the pitch man. The, right. the, pretzels or chips? I don't know. I believe they're pretzels. Pitch guy for, I can't remember his name. Shoot. I don't remember the character's name, but he was. The main thing is he was a complete asshole. Like, he was making fun of the owner's wife who was overweight, and he just continued to make fun of the owner's wife. And it was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Oh, God. In my head. It's not like Johnny or Danny or. It's something like that. I bet it ends Jimmy. With, it's Jimmy Barrett. There you go. Jimmy Barrett. Jimmy Barrett. Exactly right. He's a dick. Yes. Um, and that's just Jimmy. That's just Jimmy, Paul. Okay. But that's the thing. Like, he's another one of those characters who, at first, I mean, you had to have felt sympathetic to him when Andy finds him in the boys' bedroom. And he's all sobbing and talking. Yeah, uh, his life had just fallen apart earlier that day. Right? So, yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm a, I'm a father, too. It pulls on the same emotional stuff as the story went on were you surprised for him to come striding through the woods screaming at andy well that bit of the story where this all seems like it's taken place over the course of two days three days right it was fast everyone is up in andy's face like you're really dragging your feet aren't you barber i'm like we're doing searches no, See, but that's like. What do you mean, drag it? I'm not the cops. Where, I mean, shit. I feel like that's where we're missing information. Like things will get filled in more and more. I think, don't you? Perhaps. Did Did you feel like? I mean, there was something that you saw that suggested that he was doing. He wasn't doing everything he could. They didn't show me what he was doing, though, Paul. Well, that's what's the a DA key. supposed to do? I don't know. Be interviewing people and be having more like conversations. The with- cops need to arrest them, though, right? What happened in the movies? Don't they always show like cop detectives always figuring out shit and going and arresting people? <laughs> and- out shit. I mean, that's a fair question. What is the role of the assistant DA during the first couple of days of an investigation? Listeners, especially those in Massachusetts that have legal backgrounds. Please go ahead and tell us. I appreciated the fact that he said DAs don't participate in searches. searches right. Because otherwise, we could be a witness in our own case that we're handling. That makes perfect sense to me. Then I kind of want to be like, wasn't there a different way to get the camera here then than to follow your ass who shouldn't even be it there? Wasn't that a little like, we should have done something different. We should have had Lori jogging by or something different that brought the camera where we needed to see it that wasn't so blatantly hypocritical to the reason he gives to why he's not helping. I think you might be on to something in terms of the show adhering to POV characters as much as possible. So we have Andy's POV. We have Jake's POV. To an extent, we have Leonard's POV. Yes. And occasionally Sarah and occasionally Lori. But that's about it. You're right. They could, they, they didn't just like show us the search. Not that particular search. That's a, that's a working theory. I'll, I'll come back to that. I'll, I'll, I'll take more notice. I just feel like there was a real lack of what Andy was doing he was in the weird places that he even told us he's not supposed to be in and then we know he's being all shifty with shit like the knife Mm -hmm. but like what are you doing and i know he quickly quickly is on leave quickly within these episodes so it's not like he had all this time that we should have been what watching him what shuffle papers i don't know so maybe maybe i'm like off on a wrong path and thinking like we should have been seeing something of what he was up to I was a little confused about the focus of why aren't you doing X, Y, Z, him defending himself, but then never saying what the fuck he does do during these times. 
What's his job during this time? That's a great question. I don't think it is a job, exactly. He's, it's up to the police to run down suspects and bring them in. I don't know that it's up to the DA to say, these are your suspects I need you to bring in. Well, that really brings us to another, to a couple of people. So one person I want to talk about right away is Duffy, this detective. Who's described both as working for their office in the county level, but then they say that she's a state cop. And those are different things in most states. So completely confusing. We didn't understand what the hell. I thought that their relationship was very odd. When he sees her at first, they seem very much like they've worked together before. When she starts just spewing out the information about who this kid was, and I'm sorry, the melodrama of Andy's reaction that it was a 14-year-old kid felt very unearned. <laughs> like, I was like, mm. Now, you guys might say, Carolina, it wasn't that big of a response. This was Captain America you're all looking at. You don't know him as Andy Barber yet. And Captain America doesn't gasp and grasp his pearls, okay? That's not what happens here. To even see him do that step back, I was like, oh, what? <laughs> this is not attractive. I'm not, I'm not turned <laughs> on by this. I don't like any of this. Immediately, I was weirded by their relationship. And the fact that Duffy was like, oh, yeah, you have a kid. And you might know this person because you live in this town. That whole thing was like, what the fuck are you talking about? This is a small town. You've worked with him before. You don't know he has a kid? Like, what the? It was weird. What did you think of that? The most I'll say about it is that it did feel like they had worked together enough for them to fall into an easy patter back and forth. She knew what she needed to tell him. He was expecting her to, to give him certain information. You know, here we are. Let's walk. Yeah. So Duffy's character changes quite a bit in episodes one through three. I mean, at first we have that very much like, you know, they're, they're co-workers in a lot of ways. To like immediately, you know, the, the whole leave situation, very unclear then what their relationship is. Because like you mentioned before, she's like, she's like, you think we're friends? Yeah. Like the hell? Well, I think that was an important scene to inform us about Andy and his, the way he views people. I mean, the way that resolved was that she gave him the file or someone did. Or someone did. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Period. That. Someone gave him the file. He asked Duffy to do it, but that, I mm, we, I, we mm. didn't see her do it. Good on you. Good on you for that. Let's talk a little bit more about Neil. This is this a super ultra competitive workplace where apparently the actual DA does very little. She just sits in that meeting room with that Asian <laughs> woman. <laughs> she seemed so ineffectual between them. They were like two men who were like literally squabbling at each other and cursing at each other, Paul. Like, Andy, the hell? There's clearly some backstory there where uh, Andy's the senior attorney. Neil is some echelon lower. Maybe Neil had to kiss his ass for a little while. Andy There's just doesn't there. like him. He just doesn't like him. There's a history there. There's some betrayal we haven't been made aware of yet. There's a couple times when, when Neil mentions something to the effect of like, that's how you taught me, or he was my mentor, or yeah, yeah. things like that. But it's always said with a kind of a wink. And then Andy's always like, shit. shut yeah. your mouth, Neil. Right. <laughs> like, it's so like, oh my God. Let's move over to the kiddos that they start actually interviewing. Right? Okay. We were introduced to Derek Yu. He's not actually interviewed, but we get to we get to understand him a little bit, a little bit. Well. What was your read on Derek at first? Because he was the first kid that we saw Jacob actually interacting with. Seemed like they were friends. What was up? Derek's presentation is not straightforward at all. The first time we see him, 
He's playing video games. They say, you need to stop. And he puts the controller down right away and says, thank you for having me to both parents before he goes. This is textbook how to be a teenage kid at another kid's house. That is how your mom wants you to act. Well, praise you will act at, like, at, sure. at someone else's house. But it's also very Eddie Haskell. It's a, hi, Mrs. Cleaver. Hi, Mr. Cleaver. All right. That shit too. That's fair. And that pinkiness of the Eddie Haskell is exactly who I think Derek is. If you're too young to know who Eddie Haskell is. Watch Leave It to Beaver. He's from one an old show episode. called Leave It to Beaver. And he, he was, was just like, he was the kid who like, who was like too good to be true in a lot of ways on purpose, you know, like he would be over the top, sappy, nice, and like instantly be doing bullshit behind everyone's be, back. He was the guy setting off cherry bombs in the toilets yeah. and that kind of, you right. know, but 50s like, bullshit. But like ultra sweet, sticky sweet in front of the adults and stuff in like a ickety way. So I didn't even think of that because it was very shortly after that, that Andy finds the, the postings where Derek just calls out everybody knows you killed him that's right. very bold shit to put online everybody's seen the knife the knife paul so is the derek situation one of those where we're missing scenes in between well we're missing how he seemed to feel about the knife we're missing like when he confronts sarah after her interview it was like what did you tell them we are clearly missing that he knows something more about this than he's telling anybody or that we've been privy to. Which is weird, though, because he's posting online. We all know you did it. Da, 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 da. I don't understand then. Like, so what if Sarah did say something? What are you doing? Like, so to me, is this like Derek is most definitely framing Jacob? I mean, at this early date, it feels like it. Why would you be saying someone did it and then be upset about another kid saying something if you if you, if it wasn't concerning your ass? You know, like, what are you worried about? Mm -hmm. Where Jake seems to be acting scared, Derek is acting squirrely. You know, there's kind of a difference. Eddie Haskell. Like, scared can maybe lead to squirrely, but squirrely is just sort of like all nerves and like um, well, and looking over of, your shoulder and, and stuff. And like a little slippery, like a little bit like, how was he out of class? Standing at the top of that stairwell, hiding in the shadows. Ick, you know? Just yeah. Ick. What's your deal, dude? I don't know. I definitely, I've got my eyes on Derek, Paul, as a potential problem. Sarah, however, I'm crossing my fingers, is going to somehow end up being a huge help in figuring out what the fuck is going on. She seems like she knows something and is too scared to say what it is that she thinks she knows. Even though she, she called the, the detective at one point, Duffy, but it still feels like there's something else she wants to add to contribute to the investigation and just won't. Just well, for whatever I mean, teenage reason she has, she just won't. I'll give you a super basic reason. If you think you know the killer and this person's killed someone, why would they not kill you? Well, you got to call the cops first so no, that they don't. Yeah, that's not how it works. They say things like, I'll kill your mom. You know, you won't be dead, but I'm going to go kill your mom and your little baby sister and all that stuff, right? Maybe Sarah doesn't like her mom. Well, daily. Point is, is that you know exactly why people don't go running to the cops. Because you're being threatened by someone who actually did something and mm. who you know is dangerous. And so, yeah, she's trying to walk that line of like wanting to be like, look over there, look over there, you know, without actually anyone noticing that she said something. I definitely think she knows a lot more than she, she has let on. I was very relieved when she asked Andy, have you talked to Jacob about this? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, phew. 
Let's get back to that mess. One last character I'd like to cover before we hit some plot moments is Leonard Patz, the local unregistered pedophile. Yeah. Hmm. Leonard is the guy who all of us absolutely are set up to hate his fucking guts. Yes. He's disgusting. He's like an outcast. Now, I'm going to tell you, Paul, I've got no redeeming qualities for Leonard. I'm not coming back to say like, but he seems like a stand up guy. No. The dude is definitely like a creeper in every way from him sitting at work, eating a sandwich, grossly eating the sandwich, watching the teenage boy. Yes. Uh, I like barfed in my mouth a little bit. Yes. And then that diner scene, Paul. The diner scene she's referring to is him deleting photos. It, it kind of looks for a second like maybe he had fi- found some online photos. No, no. These are photos mm-hmm. that he had on his phone that he was deleting off because they might be evidence later. Personally, I think you're right that Leonard is a red herring, that there's something happening here with that doesn't involve him, but he's, he knew the boy, but told the police he didn't know the boy, and now he's got the pictures gone off his phone to kind of support that. I don't think he had anything to do with it. I mean, pedophiles aren't, they like to do other things than kill kids, don't they? Well, and that was one of the points that, that they made, was that the body was not assaulted in that way. Yeah. And so that's questionable, but... I feel like this show is coming at us on a different level, which is like mental health, a lot of the psychological stuff. And so for me, like it would not shock me to find out that maybe Leonard does play in, but he's playing in in some other more sinister way that maybe he is found touching one of the kids or something. And someone's like, oh, you're gay. Maybe it's Jacob. And maybe that's how shit starts. You know, like, I think he is tied into this story, but I think it's going to end up being more complicated. Mm. Hear me out on that. That's my little brain, right? What if Jacob was touched in some way by Leonard and Ben saw something and went around, because we heard them use the term fag, going around saying he was gay. And now he has the humiliation of, this guy having bothered him or touched him in some way, you've got the kids at school saying this stuff. What do you possibly do or say? Pure. Now that's a very rando thought, but I'm just saying that could pull together a couple of different things. Yeah. I don't think Leonard was directly the cause of Ben's death, but I do think that guilt and fear and like humiliation is like, I mean, shit, look at that. That's Lori and Andy Barber in three words. (laughs) Guilt, fear, humiliation. Right? Yeah. That's it. And so that feels like the motivation for someone. All right. So we've already kind of touched on the structure set up at the beginning of episode one, where they give us a little flash forward to kind of focus what we should be thinking about that episode. And I would like to just reinforce the idea that I'm not sure that it's a good idea to tell us things don't end up well. The big plot event in episode one is that Ben Rifkin is found dead. The big question marks that I have for you revolve around the very end of the episode. Okay. You find the post where your son says something kind of dumb, something inflammatory gets said back to him and other kids start responding to that also. What do you do? What can you do? I personally feel like I would have a hard time not acting on this in some way. Whether it would be to contact the how, whatever this chat forum was. He's in the DA's office. 
I feel like he should have a connection to one police officer, at least one, right? Mm -hmm. If not Duffy, someone, he works with them all the time. So to me, it would have been really reasonable that there would have been someone to talk to about like the, what can I do? And even if they just explained to him, like, there's really nothing you can do. Can't really like take this shit offline or whatever, you know? I don't know exactly how you handle it, but I don't think I would just say it's no big deal. I feel like myself, I would at least try to figure out if there was something I could do about it. I would start looking at ways to delete that thread, whether it was something I could do myself. Why wouldn't you like talk to Derek's parents? Definitely a call to Derek's parents. And say like, are Seems you like aware of order. stuff that he's putting online? All that stuff. Just Andy's head in the sand approach. Is apparently the pattern of Jacob's life. Something serious is happening with Jacob. Andy's like, what you gonna do? Let's dovetail that into the next what would you do? And from the Andy perspective of shouldn't he know better? So something that could be something like evidence comes out against his son online. He doesn't do anything. Shouldn't right. he know better? And then he goes looking for this knife and then finds it. Right. Draw a dotted line to episode two where he actually disposes of the knife in a very... It's, it's a very specific way that produces a random result that means like it'll never be found. It was a smart way to get rid of potential evidence. So both of these things are like, shouldn't he have known or did he know better? And he still acted this way. If he knew that his son could potentially have been a part of this crime and he thought that this knife was something that was a part of it. What would you do? Let's just go with that plain idea. Let's say he thought this knife was 100% a part of the crime. What would you do as a parent? Would you hide evidence for your kid? Yes. <laughs> Does it matter that you are in law enforcement or justice in any way? Does that affect how you would handle that? It would give me a really good idea of how to hide it. <laughs> I'm with you. I don't want my kid to go away forever. I don't want something to happen awful to my child. I would absolutely be like, what can I do? The thing about it is that I was actually quite surprised that they brought it to Jacob's attention at all. I thought he would just confiscate the knife from the room and dispose of it, never to speak of it. Hmm. It actually surprised me that he had like a family meeting about it. So we're moving into episode two firmly now. You're following along at home. That part was actually kind of a surprise move for me because it's one thing to go in, find something, recognize potential trouble and dispose of it. Yeah. And it's like another thing to take it, kind of wave it around in the kitchen a while, talk to your kid about it, get a lot of information about it. Really no additional information that besides the fact that he took it to school, it's very important in terms of like how many people saw your kid with a knife, right? That was important to come out. Very important. And so I guess I guess you had to have that conversation. But I don't know. It, that part just felt weird because it made for like a like a bump in the road in terms of disposing of it. I think he always knew he was going to dispose of it. I think the second he went looking for it and found it, he always knew he was going to get rid of that knife. Yeah. So then to like take that that little like exit <laughs> off the highway of disposal of the knife. To stop and talk to the kid about it and waving it around and stuff seemed dangerous. Like all you were doing was inviting trouble. Well, it made it so that if in court anyone ever, I guess, asked them, 
did this knife ever appear? Did anyone else see the knife? Did it come up? Was there a family meeting about the knife? Yeah, <laughs> they, was there all... a family meeting about <laughs> they, the knife? They'd have to say, yes, there was. Right. I what mean, happened to it after that? See, and that's the part where I think you dug your grave. Let, okay, people, here's, here's a little advice from me to you. If you find potential evidence against your kid and you think in your head, holy shit, I got to get rid of this. No one should ever know you found it or handled it. You know, like that's yeah. key it's, to it, the whole thing. Yeah. Because but, otherwise, why bother sneaking around? Why not flip the lights on in the room and throw Jacob out of bed and be like, what the fuck's this knife about? The key was to sneak around, get the knife out of the room and dispose of it with no one knowing you ever fucking were there. <laughs> okay? That's not what you're going to want to do. Right. Okay. This isn't a how to get away with murder podcast, but, but it kind of is. Let's just tell you. How about it's how to defend your your Jacob in your house. Okay? You don't want to get caught with the weapon. If that's, you're going to defend Jacob. Killer 101. Yes. Jesus. The fact that at least he had the urge to tell Lori seemed like a little half tally on his. He's not all keeping secrets from everybody. See? Good guy. Well, I'm just saying. What did you think? I mean, did you think that that was like, well, that was the bare fucking minimum is to tell Lori. Well, that is what that seemed like. The motivation for having that meeting was to get this knife business out in the open. No, no. They were laying in bed and he said, there's something I have to tell you. He told her then. He didn't. Oh, he didn't I'm, I'm bring it up at the family then. meeting. I'm missing, like, yeah. No, You're no. Right. He was You're laying right. in bed and he was definitely like, well, I got to talk to you. And so I was glad to see that because if he could lay there with his eyes open and never tell Lori, that makes me worried about his ability to keep secrets from her. It's it's a little like Jack on This Is Us, right? It's it's like his, he doesn't want to talk about anything before the moment their relationship started. Well, and I have to ask you that as a guy. And, and, and he's very, he's, he'll be open after that. Right. But before that, no. Is that okay? Are people allowed to have come from a shitty past that they don't want to let color their future? They do not want it to impact anything I think those people should be able to find someone that is willing to live with that. I think that... Willing to live with which part? Willing to live with complete and total secrecy or is willing to accept the person for who they are, warts and all, shitty past and all, and know about it but still like love you. I think there's an in-between. They can accept okay. as you are, okay. not know where you came from, but take you as you are now and move forward with that. See, I don't think I could ever be with somebody who refused to talk about their past. And I think there are people out there that are, that are okay with it. Remember that? Remember in Mad Men when Pete is like, I'm going to tell on you to Don. Yeah. And he goes to Bert. Bert says, you know, a man is who is in front of you. But that's so 1950s. That's the problem. It, it's not. It's 2020. And, and I don't think people act that way. I think with Google searches and all the fucking, you know, easy information you can get on anybody, I don't really think anyone thinks the person in front of you is the person in front of you. The person in front of you is as genuine as the Facebook trail, the Instagram trail, the Twitter trail, the Tinder responses. You know what I mean? Like. I'm a, like people put together the puzzle pieces to figure out who you are and where you may have come from and all that stuff. That's a problem in my book. I mean, that's fair. The, the scrutiny that people are getting doesn't allow for people to have made very many mistakes before they're, they're cast offs. Yes, that's super fair. I just don't think that it's realistic to think that in the day and age of social media and all that stuff, 
that you can have stuff out there online and not expect that someone is going to come across it at some point, even if they're not looking. Yeah, I've, I've seen on other other bits of TV fiction. Wait, case in point, Andy wasn't looking for that chat. He was sitting there on the computer and the text bubble came up. Yeah. You know, and then it was just in front of him. I feel like there's more people who are like that. If you're of a certain age in a certain circle of people and you start liking certain things or checking in at the same places, the suggested people of your friends and the whatever, like the algorithms are going to find you, you know? Yeah. That's like the new Gloria Estefan song, Paul. The <laughs> algorithms are going to get you. All right. <laughs> episode two was the episode where they found the fingerprint on Ben that matched Jacob. So do you believe Jacob's story? Now he had to change it. First, he didn't know shit. And now he ran into him into the park and flipped his body over and left a bloody fingerprint. Doesn't feel like we're getting the full story yet, does it? No. <laughs> I mean, I just feel like that's just like a nugget of information that there's this one little part of the information that the original police person on the scene shared. It was just like a one liner that could be like a throwaway, but I like latched onto it. And what that guy said was, looked like the body had been like, either fell or pushed down here and there was no attempt to cover the body mm -hmm. that line because it relieves everywhere in case you don't remember that line like sits on the back of my neck that is a very narcissistic killer that is like i'm above the law i don't give a shit if you find my victim go ahead it ain't no thing to me and there's something about that that kind of arrogance that really wigs me out about who did this. And, and then that really makes me wonder about Jacob. Like, could he have done this? Does he have that no remorse kind of thing, which bowling ball moments and whatnot make you feel like maybe not. So I don't know. That little nugget has me hanging on to this idea. If it's not Jacob and, and Leonard doesn't kind of come into play with this, I don't see like anyone else at this point coming in on the scene as a potential killer do you it'd be cheating at this point if they did bring in well would it be you can't you can't at episode three you can't bring in any other potential suspect not even Derek, for god's sake i mean you can bring them in as suspects but you have to have met the killer at this point already okay, okay. so you feel like even if it's not jacob even if it's not leonard someone is who we've already met is the person is the perpetrator yep okay i'll go with that yep, yep. so it's like Definitely like the admin assistant at the DA's office. Or it's Neil himself. Right. It's it's <laughs> definitely Neil. It has finger his fingerprints all I don't over know. It. So what do you think about it? Is a fingerprint the right thing? Should it have been like, I don't know what, a hair, a piece of like I mean fingerprint they could they could match right away. Hair would be longer. Okay. No, we discussed this too. And for anyone who's sitting there thinking, why would Jacob's fingerprint be in the system? What was your rationale for that? There are programs for fingerprinting kids. For like kidnap databases, that sort of thing. So I think it was probably part of that, something like that. And we have actually done that with our kids because here in Texas, they have a huge state fair and it is huge, huge, huge. One of the things they encourage you to do as soon as you like come in the gates is you go over to the little police kiosk and they take a picture of your kiddo and they do like a quick little fingerprint thing. And that way, in case anything were to have ever happened, you're in the database for the time you're at such a big event. You feel somewhat like if they just got lost, there'd be very quickly a current picture of the kid, which is sort of how they sell it to you. As like, a, if, if they were to get away from you today, we just want a very current, even down to what they're wearing photo for today. So safety is like real easy for all of us people here at the park. 
So it was somewhat believable that Jacob would probably have a fingerprint in the system because of programs like that. Yeah, something like that. But that's about all. Yeah. After that, you're sort of like, why would a 14-year-old boy's fingerprint? Like, I don't know that my fingerprint's in the system. Is yours? Yes. (gasps) No, you know what? Mine is. Because I didn't we have to do it for real estate and maybe even for teaching? I kind of think I did. There are various services that, that let you, yeah, that let you sign important documents without needing to go to a certain office, but you go to this other office that takes your fingerprints and lets you sign yeah, there. I think I have done my fingerprint because of teaching, I think was probably the reason. Did you feel like that the way they handled the fingerprint situation was realistic with Andy? Yes. Taking him off the case and then seeing him get violent, not, you know, he didn't like throw a chair, but he did show an inability to control his temper. And Which had already been on display when he's yelling at Neil before. So putting him on leave, that all makes sense. Now, the part where that same night where the DA is saying, we have a suspect, it's Jake Barber, and we're going to pursue him to the parents, to Ben's parents, that seemed like wicked fast. Yeah. Because wouldn't you bring him in for questioning and such first and not, I mean, why would you arrest him there's yeah there's no other evidence i mean isn't there like a bringing you in for questioning as a suspect before you would be arrested or you have to be arrested what's the series of events on that uh yeah you can be brought in for questioning and then but without being arrested and and you can just leave whenever you a la leonard pats he wasn't arrested but he was brought in for questioning yeah so like that right no, um, to be fair, he was breaking rules because he didn't register. When they detain Leo and we get to meet his his lawyer for a day, Joanna, she becomes important later. I loved Joanna Paul. Seems like she had been there, done that. Beyond that, she had this amazing mix of like grandmotherly warmth. Like the second she walked in the door, I just felt like comfortable. Like, and she was there to defend a pedophile. But there was nothing about her that didn't feel competent, extremely well-versed in the process. Like if you were neck deep in shit, you'd you'd want her on your team. Because she would like know every rule inside and out, but she wasn't like a shark. She was also somebody who was going to like have groceries delivered to your house so that you don't have to leave and be harassed by the paparazzi. She's just someone who has that full grasp on what it is to be a suspect in a case, and she knows how to be your lawyer. I thought she was amazing. When she came in as just the temp lawyer, I looked at you and was like, I'm so disappointed that she'd only be here for like two minutes. I love her. And like literally that episode ends and the new one starts and we start going and I'm like, oh, she's going to be here. She's like a main (laughs) character. Paul, she was like magnetizing. That's not the right word. What's the right word? She was like magnetic to me. I was just, I was so drawn in. I think I need like more love. Well, in future episodes, I'm sure we'll get her. I kind of wonder if, you know, Andy being a lawyer, if he's not going to start to try to be a cook in that kitchen or not. Because, you know, he, I don't think he can, but that doesn't mean he won't be like second guessing her and being like a bad client. You know? I definitely think he's going to be a bad client. I mean, he threw the knife away. Okay. Definitely think he's going to be a bad client. But I think he was extremely crystal clear with Jake about like, I can't be your lawyer. That's not my role in this situation. Like I need, you know, I need to be your dad in this. So I don't think that he's going to like overstep with Joanna in that way. Yeah. But at the same time, I think you're completely right that he's a guy who needs to be in control of the show. 
he's very much being asked to sit on the front row of the viewing section. And that's not where he normally sits. No, he's usually dictating the narrative. And yes. this episode is the one where we get the bit about his background, where now the narrative that he's been dictating is starting to become unraveled. And now he's, he's having to try to face it with everybody. Lori did not just roll with this news, did she? She wasn't like, huh, interesting. Well, everybody has a dad. I don't think that you could be at that stage 14, 15, 16 years in. I think you could be like that several dates in or when you first get serious or maybe you say, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I, I want to ask you to marry me, but I need to tell you about this part of my past. And if it's something that you can get past, then let's keep going. And if it's something you can't, then like, you know, this is kind of make or break. However, she was pregnant. Mm. The moment to like come clean was like taken away, right? Because now, no, you have to commit and you don't want her to run. She's carrying your baby. If you hadn't told her by that point, what do you do? Yeah, you do what he did. It's risky. You just keep going with it. I don't think I do what he did. I mean, I'm just telling you, you know me, Paul. You know me. Yeah, you have right? no secrets. I don't like to keep it. So I'm somebody who's very likely to try to find a way to talk about it, even if it's uncomfortable. I can vouch for that. That is a promise. I make him uncomfortable all the time. <laughs> But the thing is, is that I'd rather uncomfortable things be said than have that kind of shit that went on. Because now Lori has to wonder for the rest of her life, what's the other shoe that's going to drop? What else is he hiding from me? And I don't, I think living like that is far more uncomfortable than saying what's real and having to sort of just get through it mm -hmm. for me. And maybe the other people aren't like that. Are you like that? Like what? For me, it's easier for me to have uncomfortable conversations, but then just like know it's out there then have that feeling of like, no. I don't know when the information is going to come out. And my it's my be people way are worse. from the Midwest. They don't talk about anything. <laughs> Your people are from the Midwest. Okay. So you just like avoid, 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 avoid. Uh, to I mean, your grief. That's the goal. I mean, other Midwesterners, feel free to write in and, <laughs> and tell me what you think about that opinion that things just stay on the inside forever. <laughs> That's, That's where why they're you meant wear overalls, to be. <laughs> so everything's clamped down underneath yes. a layer of clothes exactly. at all times. <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious. One thing that the barbers did that uh, I don't know that we would do is that they insisted on going out and being out amongst the people, going to restaurants, having events well, out well, away. Slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. That's not true. They went out, they went to dinner after the arraignment. Yes. I thought that was incredibly odd. Seems like a takeout sort of night, not really like For a, a dine-in how, how exhausted is everyone? You know, just the stress of it all. Like, I can't imagine. And could you be having a more private conversation than the one you're having in that booth? Like, <laughs> right. none of that matched. I understand that the show needed to have that entree into the whole concept of society and their community is going to cast them off. And we're going to start setting the stage for various levels of that. So they, they can't even go out for pizza, guys. The wait staff's going to stare at them. The other patrons are going to stare at them. So I get that the layering, but that's one of those things where it's like, don't make something so absurd. Nobody would go out to dinner at that moment, you know? Yeah. And nobody. So you didn't find that part particularly No. Believable. I thought that, that was kind of, that's the kind of shit, again, like I'm a parent first, okay? I'm a TV watcher second. The parent has to make some goddamn sense. They can be a bad parent and make shit choices 
and have their own reasons for that. But there needs to be a reason. These two parents, a woman who is the headmaster at a school for children who are like disadvantaged, wouldn't have a sensitivity chip inside of her to understand that society may look upon you differently when you have like a sketchy situation going on. She wouldn't be aware of that. Come on. It's hard to say. Bull. I'm starting to think. I'm saying uh, I mean, it. It's I've, not hard for me to say. This it third right episode, out. I think that Lori is starting to not be herself, not feel in control of anything anymore, and just isn't as the same focused woman that we saw running in the morning, doing vocabulary tests no and all that shit before school. Right. I don't think this pressure is letting her be herself right now. Okay, so let's talk about that for a second because we talked about Andy and how his employer handled him. What did you think about the way that her school handled her situation? I think it's unfortunate and realistic. I mean, it's a private school. This is another one of those, what would you do? What If we had been paying for our kids to go to private school and we found out the headmistress's son was accused of murder, we'd have some question marks. Not only accused of murder, killed another child. Right. If you're a parent, you don't want that other parent in charge of making decisions for your children. That is running way too close. I'm with you. I think that there was no choice. What surprised me about that and what you were kind of hinting at was I was surprised that Lori thought she could go back, that she thought she could come in and start just like going back to her life. That disconnect surprised me. Mm. So I felt like Joanna had laid out the parameters in which the barbers were going to need to live. They were going to need to do an errand, go pick up one thing at the store, and then go back home. Yeah. But for the most part, like she said, let them get the picture, and then just go back, and they'll get tired, and they'll move on. But there definitely felt like there was the implied, if I'm bringing you groceries, you don't go to work. Yeah. Yeah, like stay in. Stay in, because you, you're going to get ridicule. Now, we just did another show, The Outsider in which someone was accused of a crime. And in that, they absolutely delved into this concept of how society treats people and how they're willing to turn on a dime to people who seem to be like upstanding citizens, headmistress of a disadvantaged little guy school. And then you have, you know, the assistant DA, by all accounts, respected adults in the community, right? Right. The second there's an accusation of anything everyone walks away from them. I think that concept, I mean, it was hit home very well in The Outsider. And in this one, for me, it was fucking Toby. Well, <laughs> Toby. If you were someone else's Toby, what would you do? And I said, you can't play with her anymore. For those of you who are not remembering who Toby is, because it was just a blip in three episodes, she was Lori's apparent best friend that she was so glad that Toby was coming over and she was so relieved to see her. Um, They had, you know, big hugs and all that kind of stuff. And Toby brought over food. I was really disappointed in in that whole thing. I think that female friendships are not often shown very accurately on TV. There's a lot of ride or die amongst men. And amongst women, I feel like sometimes they act like this, a little bit more flaky, a little bit more like, well, I just didn't like how you acted. So like, I'm I'm abandoning you kind of thing. I just, I thought it sucked. I don't think I'm like this. I'll be honest. I think there's situations that I would be in that maybe I would not know how to approach. 
Lori, you know, I might feel like, I don't know, do I go? Do I not? I would probably have a thousand conversations with you. Like, should I bring the lasagna? Don't do. Do they want to see me? Do, does she want to be alone? I would have had a lot of that. But people who are very closest to me, and this was supposed to be her best friend, I know she would want to see me, you know? Yeah. I think I would stand up to you and say, you know, I understand if you don't want me to have the kids over there, and that's totally fair, but I don't think it's reasonable to abandon my friend. How would you handle it? If I said, you cannot go over Brian Goodwin's house. No. I hmm. I mean, you're very convincing, and you always get your way. (laughs) um, You are evil. Brian is ostensibly my oldest active friend. Correct. See, and I would have a hard time like like thinking ill of him and his family since I've known them since day one. That's the thing. I see this we wouldn't be in this situation because if Brian and Carrie's son was accused of doing something, I don't necessarily think that that means anything about Brian and Carrie. Like I I would still want to be like, "Oh my god, we need to support them through this. I can't believe this is this craziness." I don't think I would go the other way and think like it's not contagious. You know, yeah, like it's not like it's not like the big Rona Paul, okay, during big Rona times. It's not like that. I mean, this is something where someone has been accused of doing something, and if their child snapped, if their child lost his mind and did hurt another kid, okay, again, maybe I would use the caveat of like, I won't bring the kids anywhere around, but during this time, until we figure out what's going on, I still need to be available to her. Is so, that fair? Remember what Sophia said. Stay away from me. You're bad luck. <laughs> well, Sophia would probably say, don't go over her house anymore. No one ever sticks around. From every show we've ever seen, Paul, no one sticks around. The way that most of the paparazzi part, you know, like the public shaming part of it all, mm-hmm. there might be a lot of texting and a lot of phone calls, but it would be difficult to physically go there because you're bringing it upon your own family. And I think people would try to be Look into you. Protective, yeah. You try to you protect your own first. But I don't think you would just abandon your friend. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to. Every podcast that we're going to do for Defending Jacob, we're going to end with two questions. One, who do you think killed Ben? And two, why do you think Andy's on the grand jury deposition right then? As of today, okay. who do you think killed Ben? I feel like Jacob is being framed. And so I feel like I am going to go with Derek. I also believe that Derek you do? Is, is, in, is the guy. Okay. Yes. It could be more complicated, like you're saying, like Leonard and Derek might be having some sort of oh gosh, that? something in the park that Ben saw, so they had to take Ben down. Derek seems squirrely for me. Yeah. No, I agree with you very, very much. I also think it could be one of those weird... Multiple people were involved. Somebody did something, but it's not quite so clear cut. So the knife that they found in Jacob's room and the knife that's recovered in the woods, aren't they the same knives? No, they're very similar knives. They're both like pocket knives about the same size. Derek and Jacob are pals. Jacob bought it at an army surplus store. He unlikely went alone. So wouldn't it be very likely that the two boys both bought knives that day? Yeah. That That's wouldn't how be boys crazy do things at all, right? Like they to went to knives. the army sorry surplus place and they found knives and they both bought them. Women buy shoes, boys buy knives. Women be shopping. <laughs> Is that your joke there, mister? Yeah. That's a very crucial add to this conversation. Yeah, I'm so glad it's very insightful. But is that weird to like kind of sort of start putting those together like the knives were kind of similar. They explained where they got them. He was in town. They clearly had been doing stuff together before. Yeah. No, I know he brought the knife 
too school to quote unquote show Derek. Yeah. But that's just what he said. So I just, I still feel like we're missing pieces of that puzzle. I just feel like it was a group of kids. And I don't know if Sarah was there. I don't know who else, how else people were involved. Why do you think Andy is giving that deposition to the grand jury? Has he been arrested? Did he kill somebody? Is he suspected of a crime? What do you think is happening? I am going to go with some sort of obstruction of justice. Jacob is not found guilty. However, either commit suicide or loses his mind. I'm going to go with this series of events. And you guys, I haven't watched past three. I'm going with Jacob commits suicide. Lori goes crazy. Andy is left picking up the pieces to this whole situation. And he is being brought up on charges because I think there'll be more than the knife that he goes around like kind of like brushing away the footprints at or something. There's Mm. going to be more evidence, more things Jacob says, more confusing things that are going to come about. That's kind of where I'm leaning. What are you leaning towards? The way that he is in such despair, the way that he looks anyway, all hunched over and won't even look at the jury, you know, very much. I really missed Cap's eyes. I think someone ends up hurt or dead and he's, he's on the hook for that. Oh, you think he's like on the hook for murder himself? You know, it could be something like Lori ends up going crazy, kills Jacob because she she doesn't, you know, just kind of crazy thinking like, like doesn't want him hurting hurting anybody else. else. Right. And, and, and so, and then she realizes what she's done and so she commits suicide and then, you know, the only person left standing is Andy. Then then there's these two bodies. And so there'd be a lot of questions about that. Okay. I don't know. I'm just, just, I'm just spitballing. I don't know. Okay. I don't think it's going to be as dramatic as that. They are painting him as somewhat sympathetic in this, from the standpoint of like them saying like, you were a happy family, the whole, I knew my son. Like there's a lot of parts to it that, that feel just sad that I don't think come with accusing him of murdering them. Maybe he takes out Derek for all the trouble. That's a possibility. I mean, I just, I don't, I don't see him as taking anyone's life. Although the irony of him being so afraid that his son would have the the shadow of the grandfather having killed someone and then Andy is driven to murder is a bit of a twist there, right? Mm, like yeah. so badly didn't want this to go happen to his family. Maybe he does have the murder gene. Murder gene! <laughs> Poor gene. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, okay, all in all, Paul, what did you think about the first three episodes are you going to continue this show? Do you feel like this is something that other people should be watching? I think these three episodes together work. Yes. Like, I do not think you can take them one at a time. Now I am hooked. I want to know what happens next. Me too. I, I, I We're re- going to go watch this as soon as this is over. I remarked to you that... You did? You know, simultaneously to this, we are also, also watching episodes of The Stranger on Netflix. And it's the same kind of story. You know, there are dead people. It's a thriller. There's storylines to keep track of etc secrets that we're we're unveiling pound for pound the stranger just grabs you by the you know the collar and just yanks you into the story and it's just like every scene is like a miniature cliffhanger to to find out what comes next right you know whereas this is a more deliberate plotting pace each episode has like one big idea that you can say that's what happened that episode. Let me talk you know? to you about that for just a second. I think the difference between those two storylines or those two series 
is that The Stranger is a much more fast paced feeling like almost like an action movie version of a whodunit. You know, there's like there's literal chases that are happening, you know, mm-hmm. where he's racing after a car, trying to grab that piece of evidence or do whatever, you know, he's like trying to get a hold of that girl, tracking her down, that stuff. It's actually a very cat and mouse kind of game. This one is not like that. This one is, I think, going to be all about the psychology of guilt, keeping secrets, of being humiliated and what that causes people to do and, the, and what shame causes people to do. This one is heavy and is going to like sit on you like about, you know, God, what, what would I do if I was in that scenario? There is no part of the stranger that I feel like is like, what would I do if I faked my pregnancy? Like, it's not, it's a little more soap opera-y though. Like, right? Like, it's a little more, cat and mouse is the very best way to say it. Like, there's a, there's a chase happening. There's a tracking down that's happening, yeah. you know? This is not the same. This is a melancholy memorial for a child who's dead and we're going to have to sort it out who did it. But know? I'm down for it. I'm going to continue, but I did need the first three. What about you? I want to put the pieces together. I hope that in the character development process we get a chance to understand more about andy and Lori specifically and get what drew them together in the first place why they have this dynamic of secrets and ignoring things how they have raised this kiddo who seems to have had a lot of troubles and yet they act like he has no troubles and i also kind of hope that they work out some dialogue slash acting issues that i have i had a real issue with the scene where Lori and Andy come in to talk to Jacob when they first are asking him about how he feels about Ben having died and been murdered. When Chris Evans sits on the bed and goes, hey, pal. And he says this in this really comic booky kind of way. And then they do the camera work where Lori's like leaning in like at this like bizarro angle, like where the camera's on her face and she's like leaning into the camera like it's Jacob. It's just all kinds of weird. I really hope they like settle into their parts and it doesn't feel like Captain America and this lady from Downton Abbey are just (laughs) come to sit on this bed of the kid from Knives Out and they're having this very odd rapport. Hope they gel more as a group. Well, let's see if it gets smoothed out. I hope so. So this is Caroline. And this is Paul. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.